This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to update you on some information we have about the location for UFC 249. When is it ethical to boycott something, even in MMA? We'll answer that question as part of the mailbag. We're also going to get to why Tyron Woodley appears to be beefing with just about everybody. And we have an update on the fight brackets. Our finalists are in place. Who are they? You'll find out today. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays, 3 p.m. East Coast time, right here on SiriusXM Fight Nation Channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. Um, happy Wednesday to everybody. Hope you're doing well. Um, you know, another day in quarantine, so... <laughs> Not sure what to say about that, except to say, uh, you know, what's old is new again, I suppose, something like that. Um, let me start the news, if I can, with what I think most of you might consider pretty good news, or at least, you know, not bad news, certainly, uh, um, that sort of a thing. Uh, UFC 249 lives. So yesterday was reported in multiple outlets, but I saw the report in its totality from Mike Heck over at MMA Fighting. It's been a good hire for them, it appears. He does this show called What the Heck where he gets lots of like high-level high fighters and he's breaking some news for them. He seems to be doing all right. Uh, in any event, um, he took to, uh, to the MMA fighting and said, quote, the, the, this is what the article says, um, UFC 249 is going to take place in Florida, folks. Quote, multiple people with knowledge of the promotion's plans confirmed to MMA fighting the May 9th pay-per-view event is slated to take place in Florida. The people who requested anonymity... Also confirmed the fighters will fly into Jacksonville before traveling to a still undisclosed location. I had some talks with some folks behind the scenes. My understanding is the fights themselves will be in Jacksonville as well. So I don't know if they're... The report made it sound like they were flying into Jacksonville and then heading somewhere else. My understanding is that's not the case. They're flying to Jacksonville and then more or less staying in the Jacksonville area. Now where specifically? Your guess is as good as mine. Of course, UFC 249 was originally scheduled to take place on April 18th in Brooklyn before it was moved to Tachi Palace, and then the whole thing fell apart. And as you also know, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had issued an order order earlier this month approving a list of essential businesses, which included WWE, and then later upon ESPN's questioning, indicated it would also apply to MMA. The order enables events, quote, for employees at a professional sports and media production with a national audience, including any athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and any others necessary to facilitate, including services supporting such production, only if the location is closed to the general public. According to MMA Fighting, the Florida State Boxing Commission confirmed in an email to MMA Fighting that they are prepared to regulate a professional sports production as long as it adheres to the guidelines. Now, I don't know that they have any specific guidelines around COVID-19 testing, so some of this is very much up in the air, but they did already regulate one professional MMA event during the pandemic, which only, though, employed social distancing and enhanced attendee screening for a show held in an empty arena. So that brings us to the moment we are in now. So I did some digging, actually, and if you want to see the... It's not a whole lot of handiwork, but to the extent you want to see the math on this... I went and I checked out Jacksonville, which is in Duval County in Florida. It's in the north side of Florida to the east. It actually, of course, borders um, the Atlantic Ocean. And so I wanted to see, you know, what is the situation there as it relates to COVID-19's outbreak? Not that that's going to stop them per se, but it might inform your judgment. Maybe it puts your mind at ease. I don't know. But here's what I found. Um, Basically, there's good news and then there's... You know, I wouldn't call it outright bad news, but news you should keep your eye on, let's say. So Duval County in totality has only had 909 cases uh, at 17 deaths, which you would say is probably not anything to be by itself especially alarmed about. And that's true. In fact, uh, among the top five most populated cities in Florida, only Sarasota actually has fewer cases than Jacksonville. So here are the top counties and then their corresponding cities for the outbreak. So Dade County, which has houses Miami, has the most, 10,056. Broward County, 
which houses Fort Lauderdale, 4,168. Palm Beach, self-explanatory, 2,320. Orange County, which uh, has Orlando, 1,235. And then Hillsboro, which has Tampa in it, 979. So Duval County with Jacksonville is outside all of them. And if you notice another pattern there, Central and then in particular South Florida really for now appear to be the only hard hit areas. Still, in terms of the cases, um, growth seven-day period for Duval County, I mean, how much have they grown in one seven-day period? The answer is 26%, which is, you know, fairly on the high end. But as I mentioned, 17 deaths, 909 cases, which is not especially high. Here is the only caveat to keep in mind. Duval is one of the counties, as I mentioned, that's on the Atlantic Ocean. Jacksonville is somewhat inland of it, but just to keep in mind, the uh, the county uh, mayor, essentially, has reopened on a limited basis the beaches. The beaches there are open. Now, again, it's for exercise. You have to maintain social distancing, sort of that kind of a thing. But um, you get the idea here a little bit. So the idea is where they're headed does not appear to be a hot spot. Where they're headed does not appear to be particularly badly affected. We'll see what that change looks like by May 9th. And the X factor to keep in mind is going to be um, that loosening of those restrictions. That's going to be your issue there. So keep that in mind. Um, That's what you want to be looking for. Now, your mileage on risk assessment might vary here. To me, that does not scream a situation that by itself is uniquely bad. That, of course, is not the totality of the issue. As we've discussed before, should they be, you know, um, exhausting existing resources that could go to better efforts, right? Testing in this country is nowhere near where it should be. Should it be going to conditions like this versus healthcare professionals who might need it? I do not know the particular case of testing in Duval County in terms of resources. So the debate is certainly much more complicated than what I am showing and again, your risk assessment might be one such that you find this to be negligible and worth it and doable and minimal risk. I'm not here to weigh in on the debate because frankly, I don't know that we have enough. All I want to do is point to you a scenario you should keep in mind for the future if it ends up becoming one where whatever the risk assessment we thought we were going in with, it turns out he was either right on the money or not nearly enough. I think the fact that they loosen restrictions and that there appears to be plenty of growth ahead is cause for some potential concern. On the other hand, nothing's really all that bad right now, and even if it grows, it won't grow by any amount that should preclude people from doing these kinds of activities. This is a more complicated debate than I'm able to, to, to weigh here. Just wanted to keep you up to speed on this. So, we'll see what the Florida Commission does. My hunch is it'll be whatever it does, it'll be, uh, you know, not great. Um, Remember, one of the downsides to going to Florida, irrespective of this particular situation, is I don't know what kind of referees and judges they're going to get, right? Because a lot of times they'll go to Florida, they'll go to California, they'll go to Texas, they'll go to blah, blah, blah. And there'll be some local refs on the card, but a lot of other times what they'll do is bring in the Herb Deans and the folks you know already. Are those folks, A, going to be willing to travel, B, how many of them? It, it, that could get a little bit weird and interesting. I've, I don't know that we've checked in with any of these referees to see how they feel about any of this. I suppose I should try behind the scenes to see what we can figure out, whether they've been asked and what they'll do. Because if you were living in California, or rather even in Nevada, and you were asked to do a show in California, that's a, that's a, I mean, you can literally just get in your car, fill up a tank of gas, and go. going to be a little bit harder to do that in Florida. So what kind of resources are they going to be able to access there? All questions that we will have to monitor going forward. Um, But the idea, I just want to point out, Florida has been in the news a lot for its 
growing number of outbreaks. And certainly they're going to a populated area with looser social restrictions. You should not lose sight of that. But the predominant amount of the trouble is in South Florida, not in Duval County. Certainly not as of yet. Okay? That's the best update I can give you. To the extent there's any change, we'll let you know. But that will take some time. For now, just let it be what it's going to be. This week on World of Basketball, Tony Ronzoni, the director of player personnel at the Dallas Mavericks, dropped by to discuss what it was like scouting a young Luka Doncic. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've never encountered a kid at his age that had me, when I walked in the gym and I walked out as, this kid is special. I've never seen a kid with a swag and a no fear factor and a confidence level he had for a kid coming from a small country of Slovenia with two million people. New episodes of World of Basketball are available every Thursday on the Sirius XM app and Pandora. Mel time. Mel time. Mel's here. Have a question about MMA, sports, entertainment, or life in general? If people just came to me for the answers, the world would be a better place. Email Luke at LukeThomasShow at gmail.com and get the answers to all those burning questions during the Luke Thomas Show Midweek Mailbag. All right, we're back. Luke Thomas Show. Uh, By the way, everyone, a history of modern soccer continues on the football show with a retrospective look at every World Cup in the history of the beautiful game. Tomorrow, take a look back at the 1994 World Cup in the United States with former national team star Tab Ramos and Brazil's World Cup winning manager Carlos Alberto Pajera, actually. They put Pereira, but it's actually Pajera. It's a a history of modern soccer, the 1994 World Cup, tomorrow morning at 7 Eastern on Sirius XM FC 157 and streaming on the Sirius XM app. All right. We do it every Wednesday. It is time now for the TLTS Midweek Mailbag, one of my favorite parts of the week. We go down to our intrepid producer in the bowels of New Jersey. It is the one and only Cobb. Hi, Cobb, King of Bandits. How are you? (laughs) Doing just fine, sir. Uh, All right. How are the emails today? They're good. We got a nice little mix of people asking about stuff that we talked about on the show, some existential questions for Luke Thomas. Uh, some criticisms here and there, but all in all, pretty good. Nice yeah, little mix. Well, it wouldn't be my audience if they didn't find something to gripe about. I don't hear anyone else's audience ever do this, just mine. But you know what? I guess that's the you know you reap what you sow. I suppose so. Well, you're one of the few people with a five day a week radio show, so that's going to happen from time to time. I suppose that it is. All right, um, let's do it. What do you got for me? All right, we get started with an uh, email from KE here who says, who's been referencing our Weidman Silva trilogy idea. Uh, I'm afraid old Weidman may be in Chuck's territory of having sustained too much damage. I wrote the show years ago remembering how much damage he took in the Lyoto fight. Uh, he had a ringside interview the following day at Ultimate Fighters Finale's fight, and it was obvious he was in a fog. I always think of how Troy Aikman was forced to retire after his seventh or so concussion. He would get woozy at the smallest of collisions. I don't think Franklin knocks out Chuck without that short hook prior to the Evans vicious knockout in Atlanta. It also probably why Tito wanted another fight with Odell. Hope I'm wrong, but seen this scenario before. So he's basically comparing Weidman to Chuck at this point. Yeah, I think that's a little unfair. Um, okay, uh, a little unfair. I, I certainly don't believe that Weidman at 35 is able to take punishment the way he was at Weidman at when he was held when he fought Silva. So that was 2013. So seven years ago, so he was 28. Yeah, I don't think it's the same as it was back then. To be quite honest with you, I just don't. I don't think it's the same. Um, So I think in that sense, there's something to be said for that. But I remember when Chuck was getting hit, you know, uh, I felt like it was a little bit worse. Maybe that's just romantic memories, but I felt like it was, you know, I guess the opposite of romantic memories, but the imprecision of memories playing a role here. But the other one I would say is that Chuck had a striking style. So it was just this ever-present threat, whereas Weidman still has wrestling as an outlet. Now, striking has become better in modern MMA, which means it's, to an extent, somewhat harder to avoid. It's become a bigger feature, certainly, in the amount that's there. 
but in the end, I would say it's a little bit, a little bit unfair. What do you think, Cobb? Yeah, I don't think we're there. I do find it funny that, like, in this scenario, despite the fact Anderson Silva's been fighting longer, people think that Weidman might be too damaged. Uh, I don't think that's quite fair. Even in the fights he's been knocked out, he's been pretty competitive within them. So I, I, I think that's a. I, I don't think he's quite in Chuck territory just yet. All right, very good. Next. All right, this one comes from Miguel in Florida, who says, "Hello, Mr. Thomas." Uh, my take on the UFC and WWE putting on live shows without an audience. If you ever competed on any level in any physical sport, you know the audience doesn't really matter. But if you ever acted, you know the audience makes or breaks your output. The fighters fight regardless if no one is around to cheer or boo them. But in wrestling, these guys are not, are not just great athletes, but primarily they are entertainers telling a story. They feed on audience response. All the TV shows for WWE have been subpar without an audience. How do you think the other sports will do? going on without an audience well it's funny i saw that bud crawford one of the top boxers in the world was saying it's in his contract he gets a share of the gate and so if there's not going to be a gate they're going to have to pay him more and i saw someone comment it's like put it in vegas uh no one will attend and he won't know the difference because he can't draw there anyway which i was like it's a bit of a harsh zing but there's something to be said for that um yeah kind of interesting i i would say um in professional wrestling, I feel like the, a a communication with I don't I don't know I mean, you know, check out Busted Open if what you're looking for is analysis of professional wrestling, but it does seem to me like there's much more of an ongoing conversation. And I'm using the word loosely between the audience and between what is happening, um, let's say, on stage, right in the ring. There's a little bit more of a give and take, whereas that's a little bit less the case. Where, uh, you know, I mean, literally, they will do things to either antagonize the audience on purpose, very much telegraph, or they'll do things to boost the audience, or they'll do things to just make the audience react in certain ways. And any sport will do that to an extent, but it's much more difficult to do, much rarer. This is where it's sort of unleashed, because it's, to a large extent, it's theater, right? And so theater very much has a interactivity with the audience in ways that traditional sports should not, cannot, and do not. So I can understand how the shows might feel somewhat deflated given that. It's just hard to, to, to really, truly get the depth of pro wrestling without uh, an audience, it seems like. Again, from my very, very casual perspective. I do think it will play some role with some of the other sports, for sure. Uh, but not to the extent that um, it does in professional wrestling. Certainly, we've seen it where audiences go crazy and they boost someone. Certainly, we've seen it where audiences go crazy and they diminish someone, where like someone who's not Brazilian goes to Brazil and the whole crowd is chanting, ooh, vai mujer, and then what it does to people and, and everything else. That can really derail certain people, but this is not going to be the common experience. This is not going to be the typical one. This is not going to be the one where the sport will be somehow be unrecognizable or just not the same. I think in general, we already saw that with UFC Brasilia it was not clear there was a discernible difference with and without it. So I would say it could matter, and it could matter greatly in individual circumstances, but it won't matter, I think, as much as your your biggest concern might justify. I think I'd put it that way. Next. I got mail! Yay! Okay, this comes from Perk in North Carolina. He's, yeah, he thinks we misinterpreted what Jones was saying in his tweets to Anthony Smith. All right. So Kirk here says, I, I don't think Jones was saying he was going to break into his house and Smith would be sorry. He was saying it could be someone like me, as in they fought and Jones beat him down. Uh, thus, the only chance Smith would have is if he had pepper spray or a weapon. Yes, Jones is in no place to criticize anyone or their decisions. Uh, if that's what he was trying to say, do you think it's as despicable? I don't understand how what he's saying is different than what we said. Well, I think our overall point was even if you're saying like, oh, it could be someone like me, stop putting yourself in the commission of a crime considering you've just been found guilty of another one. I think that was our overall point. Yeah, but also when he says someone like me, what does that mean, someone like me? He's claiming it could be someone like me as in like I fought you before and I beat you down. So it could be someone like me next time around. But again, that what – what does that mean in real terms? The guy who beat him down is maybe the best fighter ever. What does yeah. that mean, someone like me? 
could be the best fighter ever breaking into your house. Right. Short, short of that, the, the, the statement is nonsensical. There is no one like him. That's the whole point. Certainly not walking in off the street unless they're armed. And again, this whole conversation is silly. Like, Anthony can make reasonable choices about what his family does and does not need. And again, I don't think it's totally unusual for rivals to antagonize each other, often in ways that we don't necessarily like. Um, but I think this was just, it was a, it was a way to insert him. It was a, it, no, no, here, here's the issue. It was a way for him to shoehorn in his recorded competitive supremacy over Smith into a tragedy by making a nonsensical comparison. That's the issue here, right? The guy had a win over Smith and then Smith had this terrible incident Jones basically found a way to, to draw a straight line between them, even though they're, when you try to do that, you run into sort of absurdist territory. Someone like me. Well, there is no one like him coming off the street. It's just sort of a silly thing to say. That, that's the issue for me. I don't think we misinterpreted it at all. I mean, I'll push back on this one a little bit. I appreciate that people are trying to maybe get the most charitable. I, I do have a jaundiced perspective. That, that part is real. And someone trying to get a legitimate... Um, Good faith interpretation, fair enough. I disagree. I, I don't agree that's the way to look at this. So, all right. With that being said, next. Answer my question! All right, we got a bit of a, an existential question for you for both this person that he'd like you to answer and for yourself. So this comes from Mark from the UK who says, Hey, Luke, I live in the UK currently on week five of lockdown. Uh, the general attitude of Dana White has been difficult for me to reconcile. So I guess my question is this. I try to make purchase decisions based on merit avoiding companies who act unethically. I wouldn't vote for a politician who acted like Dana White has uh, in the past couple weeks and wouldn't be happy if anyone I knew personally acted in the same way. So whilst I'm worried about my friends and family who work on the front line, how can I justify supporting the UFC financially? Um, read it one more time. I want to make sure I get, I want to make sure I'm as fair about this as possible. All right, so he says, I try to make purchases, uh, purchase decisions based on merit, avoiding companies who act unethically. I wouldn't vote for a politician who acted like Dana White has in the past couple weeks and wouldn't be happy if anyone I knew personally acted in the same way. So while I'm worried about my friends and family who work on the front line, how can I justify supporting the UFC financially? Okay, boy, that's a really complex, that's a great <laughs> and very complicated question. So let me see if I can unpack this one the best that I can. Wow, that's a, that's a very, very, very good question. All right. So let's let's sort of take this one in the pieces that it exists in. Um, number one, I do not believe that voting for a politician and making a consumer choice are the exact same kind of transaction. Um, Number one, you, 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 yes, I mean, I suppose abstaining from the political process and then not purchasing um, a good or service, perhaps that is the same. But uh, either way, someone in that election is going to have some kind of say over your life. Um, that could be the case with the business, but not nearly as directly, I think. So it's a different set of, of competing interests that you're weighing there. I don't know that I agree with the comparison outright second of all here's another reason why it could all be a little bit difficult you know all of us sh are probably at one time or another have probably shopped at amazon or you know look at your phone do you have do you have samsung do you have um apple do you have motorola what do you what kind of phone do you have chances are that the goods that were mined the various precious metals that went into that they could have been mined unethically the service that was rendered to make them could have been rendered unethically either in the mines from which they were drawn or in the factories in China in which they were made. You know, the supply chain adds a corrupting influence all the way through it. And so you begin to have to make some, you know, all you're doing is buying a freaking phone so you can FaceTime your mom or something like, you know, you're not thinking about it on those terms, but you get kind of co-opted into these decisions and, and, and it just becomes impossible to divorce, frankly, um, perfect ethical compliance and, and, you know, or, frankly, just ordinary consumer purchases. It, it's very, very difficult, which isn't to say that you shouldn't weigh ethical concerns. I don't buy um, animal protein from any place that um, 
uh, doesn't do what I would consider to be ethical farming. And I try to limit my animal protein intake just the same. Right? Those are principles that I live by. I, I miss that, uh, mess that up on occasion, but in general, I, I stick to a pretty hardcore. And there's debates over whether or not that is even the ethical response, uh, you know, the, the right way to handle it. All this is a roundabout way of saying what, when you say financially support, what do you mean? I suppose in this case, you might mean a pay per view purchase, but always remember there are different ways to financially support the UFC buying tickets, frankly, watching ads that are sold against their content on ESPN, buying pay per view. Um, and each one of those is going to require a different level of commitment from you. So what you have to decide is, maybe he's asking in an absolutist way, but what I would say is each one of those things, live tickets, merch, watching ads against a content um, where the ad the network sells ads against its content, and then pay-per-view, they, they demand different uh, ethical considerations. So what I would say is decide for you whether or not um, your decision-making applies all the way across the board, number one. Maybe you feel like you don't want to support um, the UFC for their pay-per-view, and then maybe you decide that um, you're still willing to watch the free stuff, so to speak, even though it's not actually free. But I think the other part you have to decide is... Um, you know, what message are you trying to send by not financially supporting them? Let's say what you mean is the purchasing of a uh, pay-per-view. Because that is the predominant way in which, yes, they enrich themselves, but it is also the way in which they pay the fighters, however minimal amount, mental amount it might be. You could also flip it on its head and say, um, this kind of system wherein the fighters don't make as much money as they should, by buying this, I perpetuate it. I guess my long and short answer is decide what decide what really matters to you as an ethical principle and then really give some thought as to what your line in the sand is in terms of the transactions that you have the most degree of difficulty with and then consider the implications of that decision. Uh, I might be sending a message that I don't want to purchase it. However, do I really believe that my lack of a purchase might send the message that I want it to send? Or am I more just comfortable not giving my money to an organization no matter the message that they send in the end? Right? All, all different kinds of ways in which you can weigh it. For me personally, you know, I, don't, I have issues with basically every sports ethics um, that I watch. I just feel like the situation in combat sports as it relates to MMA, where the fighters don't have a union, which is partly their own fault is the biggest issue for me. This COVID one is it's sort of new and I don't think I fully weighed the the relative merits of it. Um, I don't even know if I answered the question, but I what I usually try to do is I try to look at a situation and say, what are the what are the very transactions I'd be denying? What are the practical implications of that? And what am I trying to get out of a boycott? And then once you arrive at those answers, you can begin to connect the dots about what behavior you find acceptable, which ones you don't, and how to move forward with it. And that's the best I can do, I think. It's a, it's a very, very, very difficult question. A lot of people compartmentalize their identity. I would say the more that you give considerations to these kinds of issues, should I buy meat from factory farming? Should I support X business who does business in China that I don't support or fight promoter whose actions I don't like? The more you give considerations to these and the more you think this through, the more it'll be clear in terms of what matters to you and what doesn't, what message you can send, what message you can't, and then your consumer preferences over time will be a little bit easier to understand. All right? All right. Uh, we'll, go ahead. He's got, he's got a bit of a follow-up here that I think is just as interesting. Okay, let's hear it. Uh, he says, my other question would be, how do you feel about the industry you work in as a whole? Uh, is it just a case of separating the sport from everything else that comes with it? Let's be honest, most people involved in MMA usually act like dicks anyway. <laughs> uh he just ends with, thank you for being a voice of reason during this. It's been refreshing. Yeah, well, I appreciate the support. I would just say I have long felt I do not fit in in MMA, and I've never felt that way more than I do now. I totally feel like a fish out of water, a ronin with no master, and uh, it's awful. I, I really don't like this. Uh, not, not the. Um, I mean, I'm lucky to have this job in this audience. I, I mean all that. I, what I mean to say is this feeling of displacement. Uh, I really hate it. I really hate it. But I don't know what to do about it, to be honest with you. Because all of the remedies to get more inserted into the community disgust me. 
So I'm just left in the position that I'm in. And people have all, I get, I, there was this question that came up, you know, like, oh, why do you, why do you uh, cover a sport that you hate? Who said I hated fist fighting? Who said I hated the act of mixed martial arts? I don't hate any of that. In fact, that's, I love, love that more than I probably loved anything non, uh, an individual non, or, you know, outside, outside of a romantic love or a familial love. I've never loved any activity or outside thing more than I've loved that. But what's that got to do with supporting individual promoters or their acts or various conditions that are, uh, you know, affecting people's lives in the sport? The conflation of the two is the, is the issue that I have. But people can't seem to understand that. It's like I love everything about two able athletes who are well-prepared fighting for um, a professional career and then my ability to enjoy that. I love virtually every part of that. And I don't have nearly the same kind of hangups about some of the uh, brain damage considerations, although I do take them seriously. But the act of that fighting and how little often sometimes they're paid and their lack of relative rights and how they get run over by USADA and run over by Reebok, run over often by their managers, run over by the fan base that now decries my supposed lack of love. These are all these are all the things that, first of all, which is a completely phony thing. And then moreover, it, these are the things I don't know how to fix um, other than raising awareness with the microphone that I have, which I've tried to do and to varying degrees of success. But I've never, ever, ever hated the, the, the art of fighting. I've loved that in ways I can barely describe. It's the business and the social arrangements and the community around it that I have found very ostracized from. Maybe by my own doing. The biggest names in the fight game are on the Ock and Barack Show. Matchroom sports managing director, Eddie This is a global pandemic that is taking hundreds of thousands of lives globally. And I feel as much as we love sport, as much as we need live events for our business, we have to wait our turn. But what we can do is make sure that when that turn comes, we're ready. The Ock and Barack Show, weekdays from noon till 3 Eastern, only on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Let's get to this. I saw this in the news. We talked about this on the show yesterday, but it has since been updated, so we have to get back to it today. Namely, uh, yesterday, Tyron Woodley, the former UFC welterweight champion, had had a bit of a back and forth with the UFC middleweight champion, Israel Adesanya. But it seemed like to be, a I don't know, like a one-off. Where, here's the story. Woodley said he wanted to like clean out welterweight, right? Get get right back at it, and then go up to middleweight and test Adesanya, and you know that kind of a thing. Adesanya responded with, I think, some kind of um, slang from Nigeria. I, I cannot be sure. Forgive me, I I don't know. And then Woodley responded to him saying, "You're the great white hype. I ain't hard to find. You're terrified of power. You watched paint dry against Joel Romero, and now you have the record." For least amount of strikes, fix that fake ass, bougie, uh, boozy official box before he come looking for you. UFC going to protect Stylebender too. By the way, I forgot about this. Remember that Woodley got a ton of criticism for the Demi and Maya fight for the relative lack of uh, offensive activity around that. He, although he did, you know, obviously stop a million takedowns, which is defense, but he dropped Maya. I think a couple times in that fight, if I'm not mistaken. But still, he got a ton of criticism for it, and his. I think I, I've. I heard him say a few times, you know, look at the numbers on what Adesanya did. Why isn't he getting criticized like I did? In fairness, Adesanya's gotten criticized a fair bit, but maybe not as much as what Woodley got. I remember distinctly, I was at that press conference. I was at UFC 214. You know, Dana White had a lot of negative things to say about Tyron. And that performance, well, at least that performance anyway, that he didn't for Stylebender. So, okay. Stylebender responded later. He says, my squashed wide, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the other one because I think it's the N-word spelled differently. The only thing you ever beaten me at is a rap battle, maybe, LOL. I see your ambition. You're doing what I'm doing with my plans and moving up. I'm flattered. Just remember that you will have to see me, and you've only seen Mr. Nice Izzy. Dan Hooker gets involved and starts asking some funny questions, right? They're talking about him being clout chasing and thirsty and blah, 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 blah. He goes, I don't know what any of that means, Dan Hooker says. Just tell me when it's time to chin someone, which is funny. And then they start making fun of Tyron's music. 
Tyron responds to uh, Dan Hooker, quote, Izzy's your pimp, I see. You are quiet, the ob- I think you meant quite, the obedient woman of the night. You have made a living off taking shots and finding a way to come back. Hashtag too easy, hashtag bending you over with style. Kamar Usman starts laughing at some stuff. And then Tyron Woodley takes shots at him. You still eating cookies, champ? Because we all know you like to take your shirt off. All right. Then he responds again to Israel Adesanya, calling him thirsty. Says, I'm a five-time world champ, stick figure. I gave you props and said after I wipe the Woodley weight division clean, I'll move up. Someone asked me about moving up. You're the one that got sensitive. Now I'll pull your tampon out. And your homie name is Hooker. Layups, I tell you. And then he responds to Adesanya one more time. I'm here. You know where to find me. You also know who to call to get a crack in. Uh, hint, he owns the whip you respond to. I think he means Dana White. I don't need to 2021 or whatever you stuttered and said. Um, okay. So, and then, by the way, he also goes, th- didn't even get mentioned here. He also had a back and forth with Leon Edwards, who he was supposed to fight at UFC London. I have a couple theories about this. The relative merits of what they're saying, I don't care about. But someone, I, I had a reader email me being like, why do you think he's just sort of like spraying the block here in the way that he is? Uh, a couple of things I would say. Number one, he we haven't seen him since March of 2019. Right where he lost his title to Kamara Usman. So the last impression that you have of the guy is, one, he hasn't been around for a while. And two, when you did see him last, he lost. And he lost thoroughly. Like, he didn't win a single round. Some of those you could even say he lost 10-8, maybe. But not a good night for him, to put it mildly. Uh, now, he has tried to come back since then. The one fight against Robbie Lawler, I think, in Minnesota in that June, they got scuttled. As I mentioned, uh, UFC London, and then I think he tried to fill in a, you know UFC 249's original times against Colby and blah, blah, blah. But it hasn't worked out. They, for whatever reason, it's just not been there. So I think partly is a bit of FOMO happening, right? Fear of missing out, where he is he has been gone for a while and he would like to reinsert himself into the conversation, into the consciousness, into the cycle of events, which is frankly understandable, A, as a general consideration, and B, in particular, as it relates to his age. He is now, I believe this is right. I think I'm going to get the math on this right. He is... Uh, Tyron is, I think, 38, 10, 38 this month, this April, if memory serves. 37 at a bare minimum. Let me just verify this before I go any further. I don't want to get this wrong. 38. Uh, 38 years old. Okay, so why would that be relevant? Well, as you can imagine, for any athlete in any window, 38 is kind of up there. Uh, and again, his last performance was not a great one. So you're beginning to wonder, maybe, what does he have left? And the Notice the words that I'm saying here, wonder, not declare, just wonder. But if I, Tyron Woodley, I can understand, A, just being gone for a while, wanting to get back out there and assert oneself, and then, two, understand something about the division that he's in. The lightweight and the welterweight divisions are, in my view, the two best in MMA, not merely in UFC, but virtually true across the entire sport. It is the sweet spot of talent recruitment in almost every organization that's out there. And that's not entirely true. Uh, there could be some variances for population size in uh, you know Japan or uh, you know parts of Latin America, um, but generally that is true. If you look at some of the very best middleweight champions, you could maybe include Marilla Bustamante in this, but I would say something like, at least in the case of the UFC, Pat Miletic, Matt Hughes, Saint Pierre, Lawler, even if you want to throw him in there. All of them won their titles and lost them essentially before Tyron. So here's what I mean. I have to go back and look at the math exactly, but I think Hughes won it around 27 then finally lost it for good. There was obviously breaks in between at 32 or so. Militich was from age 30 to roughly 33. Even in the case of someone like Lawler who got it a little bit older, it was, I think, 32 to 34, 35, something like that. And then in the case of St. Pierre, he won it in his uh, mid-20s and then gave it up in his early 30s. I get the exact dates, right? These are all very uh, verifiable online. In the case of Woodley, at 38 years old, he won the title at 34, I believe, and now defended it a number of times and then lost it uh, around 36 or 7, right? So 33, 34, lost around 36, 37. That is later than any other high-level welterweight basically ever. And to me, that cuts two ways, as I've said before. On the one hand, it tells you that even at an advanced age, 
Woodley had not only a great resume, but was doing great things later than some of his other great peers were able to do. I think that speaks highly of him. On the other hand, you also kind of feel like that's going to be harder to keep up over time, right? Even though he's already shown an ability to do that, that's going to have probably diminishing returns with each subsequent year. So it's amazing that he was able to do that, but that's going to be a harder act to maintain over time than, say, doing it from 27 to 32 or roughly the age range that Matt Hughes was able to do it. So, dude, the clock's ticking. Clock's ticking, and this pandemic is on, and he's been trying to get fights. They had one set up. It was a tough fight for him, but he was game. He was ready to go. He didn't get injured, and the whole thing falls apart. So to me, this is really FOMO. It's it's fear of missing out. It's trying to get back in there just because he's been gone for a while, independent of whatever the age is. And then when you factor in the fact that this month, April 7th, yeah, April 7th, he turned 38 years old. He's been able to do impressive things at welterweight no matter what and in an advanced age relative to his championship peers. But that can't hang on forever. If he's going to make some noise in the way in which he has described, it's got to be now. So I don't really read into it as like there's a real beef with Adesanya, maybe with Usman because he lost to him, and maybe with with Edwards because they were slated to, to match. But against Hooker or whatever, he's probably annoyed or it's all for show or what, you know. You can decide if it's real, if it's not, if it's something in between. I leave that up to the capable hands of the viewers and the, and the listeners. For me, the lesson I take from this is he understandably realizes the clock is ticking. If he's going to make an impact, it has to happen sooner rather than later. And that's not going to be easy given the relative place he holds in the division, which is still pretty high, and how hard it can be to compete against youth as a consequence. By the way, Kamar Usman, when did he capture the title? Because I don't think he was exactly a spring chicken when he did it, but I don't think he was as old as, uh, what's it called? He's 32 years old, and his birthday is in May. So he'll be 33. So he captured the belt, let's see, uh, March. Yeah, so yeah, he was, um, was he 32? He's about 30 years old or so when he got it. Again, younger than Wood, Woodley captured the title at 34. 33-34 is very, very impressive. And then to defend it into his mid-30s, very, very impressive. Very hard to do. Not easy. Um, but a hard thing to get back on top as well. That's my sense of things. The Yakin Barak Show is your home for daily boxing coverage, but also brings you the biggest names in pop culture and entertainment. My pleasure to introduce CeeLo Green. Tune in to Sirius XM Fight Nation this Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for an A-list extravaganza featuring top comedians, actors, musicians, and more. We got the opportunity right now to have on the line Jeezy. The Yakin Barak A-list special airs only on your home for boxing, culture, and lifestyle. Sirius XM Fight Nation, Channel 156. Listen at home with Amazon Alexa, Google Assistant, or however you stream in the house. All right, we're back. Luke Thomas Show. Luke Thomas Show at gmail.com. Appreciate everybody who contributed to the mailbag. Keep sending those voicemails. In the meantime, well, I've just about had it with this uh, tournament. Went on way too long. I want to put it out of its misery, but you got to see things. You got to see your creative visions, you know, to the end. You can't cut them short. They have to be what they are. So let's just get to the uh, misery here. I think we're in the... Well, I think this is the finals now, yes? Kyle, where are we in this goddamn process? I don't even know anymore. <laughs> we are in the semifinals here. So we are going to have a final matchup as soon as we reveal the winners. All right, so but where are we for today is what I'm asking. Today we'll be re- we will be revealing the finals. Oh, we are? Yeah. All right. All right, well, let's set this up one more time. What were the semifinal matchups? So we had Rocky Four versus Rocky 2, which is why we, you and me are now so in a bad mood about this this whole bracket. It really, I can't overstate how much that ruined everything. Yeah, Rob, Rocky 4 versus Bloodsport would have been far more entertaining. Although, you know what? Rocky 2 passed up anyway. The, the listeners probably would have just let us down. Or the voters, I should say, would have just probably let us down again. So, anyway, Rocky 4 versus Rocky 2 was the matchup. Uh, Rocky 4 versus when, Rocky 2, okay. Yep. Uh, Twitter vote. Got Rocky Four got seventy four percent of the vote, just absolutely destroyed Rocky Two. Instagram not quite as uh, dominant, but still dominant as hell. Sixty one percent of the vote. Wow. So, like we thought, Rocky Four is moving on to the finals in what was a fairly 
weak run for it. Aside from the Karate Kid, it was not tested at all in this entire bracket. Didn't four beat Bloodsport? No, Rocky two beat Bloodsport. How is that possible? I mean, honestly, because, because the voters let us down. That's, that's what happened there. That's I re- really, I, 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 you know, normally it's like, oh, if you're running for office and you lose. You, you, you know, they always tell you rule number one, don't blame the voters. Well, buddy, I'm blaming the voters. You understand this? I am blaming the voters. It has absolutely, this thing had so much promise. And in the end, it was like, I like Rocky a lot. I like to eat rocks and bang my sister. <laughs> I don't even know who that is. Who eats rocks and bangs their sister? I don't know. People who like Rocky too much, I guess. People who voted Rocky Two over Bloodsport, those yeah. are the people you're talking about. A bunch of sister bangers. That's what yeah. they are. And totally ruined what was a fun thing <laughs> that we've been doing for like the past month. We put I want to start point this out. We put so much effort into this and like we devoted so much airtime to it, all for it to come crumbling down with Rocky versus Rocky versus Rocky. Fuck you guys is really my response. As it relate I love y'all, but as it relates to this tourney, wow, you're fired. I'm like Trump on the apprentice. You're fired. How about that? Well, Rocky Four is our first finalist in this bracket. Yay! So we, so we move to the other side with the last bastion of hope. Enter the dragon. Taking on Rocky, the original Rocky. And here's the, the thing: I can't. Rocky. Here's the thing about this: I can't even be mad if this Rocky wins because hello, it's the original Rocky. Part of the impetus of doing this tournament was we had gone through the athletic. They had ranked the 100 top sports movies of all time, and they have. Rocky, I think, is number one. Which, oh, yeah. That, it's usually number one on everyone's list. Which, I I mean, I can't hate on that. That's a fine choice, to be honest with you. It deserves to be, if not in the top number one, top three, top five at absolute worst. So I can't even be mad if it goes ahead. But if it goes ahead, then it's just Rocky versus Rocky. Sister Banger fans versus Sister Banger fans. <laughs> Well, such a, guess, such a stupid bit that I have going here. Okay, go ahead. I know. It's, it's, no, it's no worse than Darth Vader banging everyone's mom. Yeah, so. it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's not exactly. Uh, it's right on your lowbrow measurement. I but, read. Uh, I read books. God damn it. <laughs> All right. Well, this the voting on this was literally down to the wire. Wow. It, 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 which is fair. Close. Which is fair. Uh, so on Instagram, Rocky got fifty-one percent of the vote, and to the Dragon forty-nine percent. Super okay. close. Okay. And that one was. Rocky had an early lead and Enter the Dragon closed on it to get to 49. Hmm. On Twitter, Enter the Dragon got 56.3% of the vote and Rocky got 43.8. So now it came down to the voting tallies and the way it rolled out. Okay. And moving on to the finals. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Uh, how many did Instagram have? Instagram had 355. And then... Twitter had 160 total votes. These are not high totals, but okay. No. Now, moving on with 51% of the vote. Enter the Dragon is ah, hanging in. The- <laughs> you know what? I'm back in. I'm back know, in, Gov. That's, that's all it took. I'm back in. I was so rockied out. I'm back in now. Fuck Rocky Four, man. I hope this movie wipes the floor. And now, honestly, let's think about this. How would the fans feel about about End of the Dragon versus Rocky Four. I feel like End of the Dragon might win. Listen, I, I wasn't sure it wasn't going to get by Rocky the original. The fact that it was able to do that, and actually a bit late too, it's got a good shot. It's got a good shot to beat Rocky Four. Man, how, it, you would say to yourself, if you can beat Rocky, there's no reason why you couldn't beat Rocky Four. But then when you begin to think about what it would take to beat both Rocky and Rocky Four, that's... That's got to be something special, man. That has got to be something different. But Enter the Dragon typically checks all those boxes, man. By the way, Luke, it's worth noting the run Enter the Dragon has gone on. If it beats Rocky Four, it is 100% the best fight movie because this is where we started. All right. Enter the Dragon first beat kind of a new school, which I think was a very good boxing film in Southpaw. Destroyed it, 77%. Then it beats out Raging Bull. <sighs> great another, movie. Another iconic film. Yeah, great movie. Which, which I think itself was, I think was was top five when we did that list, uh, sports movie. Then beats out its first Rocky, Rocky three. Hmm. Then takes out the original Rocky, and is now up against Rocky four. Wow, the Rocky Slayer. It might be, it might be the Rock. In which case, I will love this movie forever. 
Y'all have <laughs> y'all have made me hate the Rocky franchise in a way I never thought possible. But here we are. Desperate times call for desperate measures, Cobb. That's what I know. So now I, here's I'm the thrilled key, about though. this. Here's the key, though. And this is something I discussed with you early on. And I know you were out of it a little bit once we revealed our final four. So let's see if you're still on board. So the thought I had with you is that I think since now we've put so much into this, we have, thank God, a fantastic final matchup in Rocky IV versus Enter the Dragon. I suggested that we would do a rewatch of each movie, give our own little technical breakdown, and open up the voting on Friday. Okay. And do a two-day vote this time. So there's no excuses. So two days of Instagram, two days of, uh, of, of a Twitter poll, and on Monday we reveal our final winner. So I need a little bit more time. I like that idea. But what day is it today? Wednesday? I, I can watch... Uh, I might be able to watch... I can watch both... Okay. So I'd have to watch one tonight. I'd have to watch one tomorrow night. And then on Friday, we set up the voting. Is that yeah. the idea? Yes. I could probably do that. I could probably do that. I could probably make that happen. Sure. Which one Which one would you prefer to start with? End of the Dragon. End of the Dragon? End of the Dragon. Um, I've seen it... I've saw it in the last couple of months, but I need to rewatch it just the same. Go back through it. And, you know, all the little details you miss. And then I'll watch the original Rocky again. I'll probably be spitting at the camera. Not the, the, the original, Rocky Four. Rocky Four, what am I saying? Yep. Yes, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I'll probably be spitting at the TV half the time, hissing at it because I'm so pissed off. But we'll make it happen just the same. Okay, how can folks vote? So when we put it up, like I said, we're going to do a two-day vote on this because I want no excuses from the fans of like, oh, how did Bloodsport get by? Because you guys didn't vote in the 24-hour span we gave you. Right. So now we're going to open up to 48. So on Friday, I will put a sto- I will put a poll up on our Twitter account, at MMA on SiriusXM. That one will last two days. I'll put a two-day run on it. Uh, it will, there will be a link to our Instagram, at SiriusXM Fight Nation. I will put a poll in the stories two days in a row, because Instagram stories only last 24 hours. As soon as that one expires, I'm going to put a brand new one up. And you'll be able to vote there as well. So two days to vote on both platforms to crown a winner. As we have indicated, please go vote at MMA on SiriusXM. Not today, but just you know, put it in your mind. At SiriusXM, Fight Nation on uh, Instagram. LukeThomasShow at gmail.com. Voicemails are open and ready all week long. And uh, yeah, um, I think that's about it for us today. So thanks for everyone who tuned in. Tell your cheap friends about the podcast. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal thanks for listening catch the luke thomas show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m eastern on sirius xm fight nation channel 156 on twitter follow at l thomas news and the channel at mma on sirius xm